Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. I want you to think about this with me just for a moment, because I think this is important. The majority of you were not at our inaugural service back in 2006. The majority of this room, you were not there. <clears throat> and I've got to thinking about it this week because that, that's perfectly fine. It's okay. It's okay that you were not there. We, we don't expect everyone in a growing organization and a growing church to be at the very first meeting that we had. It, it's kind of like this. Most children are not at their parents' weddings, but they still continue to celebrate their anniversaries, right? I mean, that's the way it works. And just because you were not at the first service does not make you any less part of the DCC family. You certainly are a major part of the DCC family. Like any healthy home, we have continued to grow and we will continue to grow. Amen? And so today we're starting a new series called Learn, Live, Look. Learn, Live, Look. And this series will lead us into our anniversary celebration. So this is very intentional. The three weeks of this series is going to lead us into that. And here's what we're going to do. Starting today, we're going to learn from the past. We're going to learn from the past, then we're going to live in the now, and then we're going to look to the future. So that's where we're heading with this series. We're, we're learning from the past, we're living in the now, and we're looking to the future. God has been good to DCC, Amen. God has been so good to, to us since we started in 2006 with 15 people, eight related to me. Since we started in 2006, we have been on a steady incline, and, and that's amazing. I mean, we started a church in the middle of a recession, and, uh, or at the beginning of a recession, and, and, and then we, God just blessed us. We continued to grow, and the growth of our church has been constant, and it has been consistent. Over a 13-year span, this church grew to over 600 in weekly attendance uh, between our two morning worship services and our kids' ministry and everybody. We had over 600 people uh, meeting weekly and many more than that that called this church home. And then COVID hit, and, and it, it, it happened right before we opened this new facility. And, and it, it obviously affected our in-person numbers. And, and we have noticed that those numbers, I think people are becoming a little bit more comfortable and with the right precautions in place, uh, every week that number continues to grow. But here's what we have seen. Our online viewership has skyrocketed. We are reaching more people around the world than we ever have as a church. And church, I want to say thank you because without you being faithful and serving here locally and investing here locally, we don't have that opportunity. And because of your investment, we are able to reach around the world and, and I'm just so thankful for you. But how many of you know we're getting older? <laughs> I am not the young man that I once was. I was, I was reminiscing this week about <clears throat> my ministry. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was reminiscing about my ministry and, and where I've been and, and, and kind of how, how I've got to where I'm at. And I remember a number of years ago, there was an article, in, and when I say there was an article in a magazine, it's, it's, it's a denominational magazine called The Evangel. It's not like widespread. You're not walking into your local grocery store and buying this magazine, okay? But uh, it, it listed me back then as, as one of the, the, the top uh, 40 influencers under the age of 40 in, in that particular denomination, in our, in our denomination, 
And um, I, I got to thinking about it this week, and I thought, good Lord, I, I feel so old now. My, my body, my mentality, just everything about me, I'm just, I'm, I'm aging. I can tell. I'm not the young church planner that I, I once was. And I think, I think being portable for uh, 11, 11, 11 and a half years probably does something to a, a person. And so that, that, I think it aged all of us. I think every one of us in the room, we, we aged a little bit more than the normal church. And, uh, and so over this 14-year span, I've, I've just noticed that we're getting older. And I would love to say that we're getting wiser. I would love to say that, but, but I'm not. I'm not going to say it. No, I, I think we are. I think we are. But, but you know what they say about old churches, right? They say this about old churches. They say you do something once and they hate it. You do something twice and they tolerate it. You do something three times and it becomes a cherished tradition. And what I have noticed is that we've done some things consistently through the years and they've become traditions for us. And sometimes that's a good thing. And, and, and there's some things that we look forward to. But then there's some things that, that we do as a church that we probably need to reevaluate. Especially now that we're in a new facility. And, and, and just where the, the, the world is at. The state of the world and where it's at right now. We probably need to reevaluate how we do certain things. In life the past can be used as a, a great educational tool. It's there for a purpose, but it must not be used to dictate your future. Take, for instance, the North American railroad system. You, you see, the standard gauge in, North American, in, in the North American railroad system, and, and when I say the standard gauge, that is, it's the distance between rails, between the rails. They tell me that it's four feet, eight and a half inches between the rails. Four feet, eight and a half inches, give or take an inch or two. That's what the, the standard gauge is for the North American railroad system. And, and when I read that, I, I, I just thought, well, that just seems like a very odd number. That, that's an extremely odd number, four feet, eight and a half inches. Why wasn't it, you know, five feet even or four and a half inches? Why four feet, eight and a half inches? just seems so odd to me, so I, I went exploring. I had to look this up. And so I realized to uncover the truth of this measurement, you've got to follow a trail that leads us through the past. Humor me for a moment. Let, let me share my findings with you on this. The North American Railroad System was built by Englishmen. And they built it according to the standards that they built railroad tracks in England by. Four feet, eight and a half inches. So for some of you, that would be enough. And you're like, well, that, that makes sense. Englishmen, they, they did it the way that they used to do it. It's the way we've always done it. Famous last words of a dying church, right? That's the way we've always done it. But I couldn't stop there. That wasn't good enough for me. And, and that was also the measurement that they used in England for the pre-railroad tramways. The tramways measurements were four, four feet, eight and a half inches Wide because they use the same jigs that they use for building wagons and their wheel spacing. So that's the reason why. But, but who came up with that? So I kept digging. And if you keep looking, you'll find out that uh, the reason why they had to do that, the reason why they had to space the wagon wheels out four feet, eight and a half inches, is because if they made them longer or shorter, their wagon wheels would break because... Of, of the well-worn ruts 
in the established roads. But then the question comes to mind. Who made the ruts? So I kept digging. Aren't you thankful I did all this research for you? (laughs) The first long-distance roads in Europe were made, many of you know this, by the Roman Empire. It's the reason why the birth of Christ had to happen in that moment is because now the world was ready for the spread of the gospel. We had roads to travel so the, the gospel could begin to spread quickly because the Roman Empire had created roads. And the Roman Empire, they had their their war chariots, and they were specifically made to accommodate, here it is, the spacing of two war horses, which ends up being approximately four feet, eight and a half inches wide. If you're staring out of your chariot at your horses and their behinds, they're approximately four feet, eight and a half inches wide. That's right. I I just proved this to you that the North American Railroad gauge for for track width is linked to the Roman Empire. And so many people have no idea about that. But, but, But wait, church, there's more. There's more to this story. I couldn't stop. I had to figure some more stuff out. If you have ever seen one of the pictures of of the popular uh, space shuttles that that were the primary form of space travel between 1981 and 2011, if you've ever seen one of those pictures, then you've probably noticed the two solid rocket boosters that are on each side of the main fuel tank that is in the middle as as it sits on the launch pad. As the shuttles would sit on on the launch pad, you would see one big fuel tank and then these two solid rocket boosters on the sides of it. History tells us, this is so good, history tells us that the engineers that developed those solid rocket boosters would have loved for them to have been wider, bigger, but they were limited because they were built in Utah and they had to be transported by train (laughs) and they would have to take them through mountains, tunnels in mountains and those tunnels were built just a little bit wider than the train tracks that were four feet, eight and a half inches wide. Those engineers, if they ever asked this question, what horse's butt designed those tunnels? They wouldn't be that far off, would they? (laughs) Church, here's my point. Here's my point. Though it served a purpose at one time, one could argue that the most advanced mode of transportation that humanity has ever invented was limited by a design that was over 2,000 years old. And what's even more tragic, and this is my personal opinion, okay? You don't have to snope this. You don't have to do any, just this is my personal opinion. What's even more tragic is that the space shuttle Challenger explosion is directly linked to the design of a rocket booster. That's fact. My opinion, is that coincidence? I don't think so. Last words of a dying church. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done it. And I don't want to find the church 2,000 years later hung up on some things that aren't necessarily... The absolutes hung up on some things that it 
doesn't change the gospel. It's just the method. If COVID has taught me anything about the church, and and I don't mean just us, it includes us, but not just us, but the, the global church. If COVID has taught me anything, it's that the church of Jesus Christ cannot and will not be restrained. Stop pouting, Christians. They've been persecuted in China for a long time. And the church in China is thriving. Oh, it's an underground church, but it's thriving. And I think sometimes we feel so threatened by a little bit of persecution. I have great news for you today, church. You can tell us we can't meet and we'll go online. We did for 10 weeks. You can tell us not together in church buildings and we'll make every home a sanctuary. You can limit our crowd sizes and we will just add more services. We're not going to turn people away. If I have to preach five times a day, I might not have a band here for all the services, but, but <laughs> it does not matter what obstacle is thrown at, at the church. The church wins. The, church, the body of Christ, the church, wins. Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 12, he says, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. This isn't anything new. This has been happening since the beginning of the church. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've got these promises, and it might not be the way that we've always done it, but it will get done. The church prevails. Amen? I said the church prevails. We win. We win. I I like, and and I've done this in the past, I I like to to relate this to to water. As a matter of fact, Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, he he said that, that the gospel is living water. That's how he referred to it. It's living water. So I'm not the first to relate it to water, Jesus did this. But think about the way that, that humanity used to get water. There was, a, there was a time when humanity, the only thing that we knew to do was to go down to the creek, go down to the river, to a freshwater source somewhere, and to drink. Finally, we figured out we can build buckets or, or something to haul this in, and, and, and we figured out how to scoop it up and take it back to our hut or whatever we were living in, our cave or whatever. Then we figured out we can dig a trench to get it there. It's the same water. It's just a different method of delivery. Now we can dig a trench and we can get it closer to our crops and closer to our homes. Then we figured out we can drill down because there's water under us. In certain parts of the world, in many places around the world, there's, there's water beneath. So we can, we can dig wells And so we can bring water up to us. And then we figured out how to get it inside of our houses with running water. How many of you are thankful for running water inside of your home? Somebody give an amen for indoor plumbing, amen? You better thank God for that. It's the same water. It's just a different method of delivery. And and I've preached an entire series on this before. But church, that fact has not changed. It's still the same message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his birth, it's his life, it's his death, and it's his resurrection. 
And then we get to hear all the history around all of that leading up to his birth and after his birth and after his death and after his resurrection. We get to read all of that and we get to have that as a blueprint for our lives. But I'm telling you, church, it is still the same gospel. It may look different. It may feel different. But this is the same word. It's the same Jesus that is being preached day in and day out. And I'm telling you, the world can come against us, but the church will win. As long as we put our faith in Christ, the church is going to win. Amen? Amen. There are two enemies from your past that you need to be aware of. The first one is your successes. More on that in just a moment. The second one is this, your failures. Both of these things are enemies of your past. They can both hinder your present and they can both dictate your future. If you live in the good old days, you'll miss out on what God wants to do here, now, in this moment. If you're haunted by the things of the past, you'll stay stuck in fear. And today, I want us to to use the past to our advantage. I want to teach us how to learn from the past. I want you to turn with me today to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. As you're turning there, I want to kind of bring you up to speed on what we're going to be reading about. In our text today, God has revealed to the prophet Elijah. It's important that you understand the difference between these two names, Elijah and Elisha. He reveals to the older prophet Elijah who his successor will be. Jezebel has killed the prophets of God, and in response, Elijah called down fire from heaven, and it annihilated, it consumed the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Elijah runs to the wilderness because he's fearful for his life. He just called down fire from heaven. He, He won a battle. He won that victory, but he is so scared of Jezebel that he runs to the wilderness, and he finds himself holed up in a cave, lamenting his loneliness. And and he feels as though he is the only one left. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who loves God. I'm the only one who fears God. I'm the only one who follows God. And it's there that God tells him of another. He tells him of a young man by the name of Elisha. He tells Elijah about Elisha. And, and, and he's not the, the colleagues that Elijah was used to. They're all dead thanks to Jezebel. So what the Jezebel spirit does, it, 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 it kills the prophets of God. Elisha does not have experience, but he has potential. He doesn't have the experience that the, 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 the prophets that are, that are long ago now, dead, he doesn't have their experience, but he's got a heart for God. And as long as you have a heart for God, God can use you. Elijah, he can lament the past or he can learn from it. He can move on and learn from some of the the mishaps and the things that have happened in the past, some things that he had no control over. I'm certain that there are some things that he regretted probably, but he can't get stuck there. He he has to learn from that and move forward. And Elijah walks by the field that the young Elisha is plowing in And as he walks by, he lays his cloak on him, and this was a sign that the prophet was willing to mentor this young man. 
That's all it is. When he lays his cloak over him, it, it, it's, it's what will later be referred to later on, years down the road, as his mantle. He, he will receive the mantle of, of Elijah, his mentor. But he lays the, the, the cloak over Elisha. And, and I want to pick it up right there. 1 Kings 19, verse 19 through 21. Verses 19 through 21. It says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. It's important, church. Let me pause just for a moment right there. It's important we realize that Elijah just gave him permission to say goodbye, but he also warned him about the, the draw that the past has on you. Yeah, you can go tell your mother and your father goodbye, but be careful because there's a lot of comfort there. Think about what I just offered you. That's what Elijah's telling him. Think about this opportunity that I just gave you. If you, if you go to the New Testament, you will remember where there was a rich young man that had the same opportunity to be mentored by Jesus, and he couldn't leave his riches behind. He says, think about it, Elisha. You can go tell your mom and dad goodbye, but don't get stuck there. Think about the opportunity that I've given you. Don't forget what I'm offering you. Verse 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. If you'll give me just a moment, I want to to deal with the obvious first, your past mistakes. I have a feeling this is what Elijah was battling more than Elisha. The mishaps of the past, the things that that happened, some you had control over, some you had no control over. But it's the things that you're not proud of of the past or or, or the things of the past that that grieve you, the things that, that brought you pain, that brought hurt. These are the things that I'm referring to. The past mishaps, the mistakes, the sins that you made, the sins that were made against you. That's that's Elijah's story. But let's look at Elisha. We don't know what mishaps Elisha's past had to offer. We're not privy to that information. But here's what we do know. We know our own regrets. We know our own bitterness. We know our own hurt. We know our failed relationships. We know our missed opportunities. We know the words that should have never been said, and we know the words that should have been said. Things of the past. Man, if we could go back and change them, we would. Church, what is it from your past that keeps you from going all in with God? What is it from your past that that hinders your current walk with God? Because there are, are some extremely flammable materials from your past that will consume your future. If you don't get control of it now. If you don't get delivered from that now. If you don't find a way, somehow, some way, if you don't find a way to turn this over to God. 
These very flammable materials are going to consume your future. Kind of like the bitterness that I carried for 15 years with an old friend, the best man in my wedding. For 15 years, I carried that bitterness, and, and I hated him for betraying my family. But one day, God revealed to me that my future, it depended on my ability to forgive him. God was so plain with me on this. Rocky, your future depends on your ability to forgive that man or not. And then what really got scary was when God revealed to me that the future of Destiny Community Church hung in the balance on whether or not I could forgive that man or not. God never told me I had to go be his best friend. But I had to have a face-to-face conversation And I had to learn to extend forgiveness. I had to learn to pray for my enemies and rejoice when God blessed him. I had to walk out forgiveness in order to walk into my destiny. Church, don't let your past consume your future because your past hurts and your past failures, they are flammable. And they will consume what God wants to do in your life. But not only can your past mistakes hinder your future, Your past successes can too. I think this is the part that so many preachers leave out. Because it's easy to celebrate the things that were so great at one time. And there's a time and there's a place for that. Many people don't know this. And if you happen to attend my my dad's memorial service, you probably found out that day a little bit of information about my dad that a lot of people don't know, but my dad was a former drag racer before I was ever born. My dad was a drag racer. He worked a full-time job in the auto parts industry, and he could fix just about any vehicle. Before vehicles started having computers and everything, and that my dad could fix anything. And on the side, my dad took up this hobby of, of drag racing, and he got pretty good at it and, and racked up a bunch of trophies. I've seen pictures of them. Dad had the opportunity to race Big Daddy Don Garlitz one time. He lost. But he's one of the people on the planet that, said, that, that, that was able to say, I got to race the best drag racer of all time, Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Later in life, after my dad retired from pastoring, I took dad to Gator Nationals and I was able to reintroduce him to Don Garlitz. I'm not sure Don Garlitz heard anything that we said because the man is deaf, but he's had an engine sitting right in front of him for most of his life. So, While we were there that day, I'll never forget, my dad told me about a time when, when he raced at, at Gator Nationals and he blew the doors off of his competitor. Dad said, in that quarter mile stretch, he said, son, it wasn't even close. He said, I left him in the dust. It was just funny to hear my dad say that. He said, son, I left him in the dust. He said, we crossed the finish line and we went into the pit area. And he said, that man that I beat, my competitor, he said, he grabbed one of the race officials and he came storming through the pits and he came over to me. He was yelling, screaming, cussing, and declaring that my dad was racing, racing illegally, that my dad was using nitrous, He was. My dad admitted that to me. He said, son, I was. But he says, I knew that he was too. So my dad looked at that man and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Every part you take off your car, I'll take the same part off my car. 
He said the guy looked at the race official and said, that's okay, he won, and he walked off. End of story. Dad loved drag racing. Dad was becoming very successful in drag racing. But my dad also knew that that lifestyle was a hindrance in his walk with Christ. And when my dad gave his life to Jesus, he got rid of every trophy that he ever had. I told you I saw a picture of them, but I never saw one of those trophies face to face. He did not keep one of them. He got rid of every one of them. Not even... Uh, 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 saved one or two to show his, his children and to brag about who he was and, and how great he was at one time. Not even uh, one to, to show his future grandkids. Matter of fact, my dad didn't really talk about it too much. Very seldom would I hear my dad talk about drag racing at all. And if anything, it was always in a, in a, in a negative context. My dad wanted nothing to do with that lifestyle in a sense, you could say that my dad set his past on fire. He set it on fire. He let it burn up. The thing that we do know about Elisha, this young man, we know that he was successful. He had land. The Bible tells us he had land. The Bible tells us that he had 12 teams of oxen. 12 teams of oxen. This man had a good life. He was successful as far as, as, as success can be defined in, in, in that century, in that era, in, in that way of life. He was a, a successful man, a good life, but it wasn't a God life. There's a difference between a good life and a God life. And, and there's a lot of people that are living a good life but they haven't surrendered to the God life yet. Church, we've got to learn to learn from the past, but don't lean on it. It's not sturdy enough to hold you up. The past successes that, that you've had, listen to me. Let, me, let me speak to us corporately as a church. The past successes that we've had over the past 14 years, learn from it. But don't lean on it. God wants to do a new thing. God wants to take Destiny Community Church to, to a whole new level that, that we can't even imagine, but we've got to be willing to burn the past, to leave things back there. I refuse to spend the first 14 years accomplishing and the next 40 years bragging about it. And, and, and that's the problem with too many churches today is, is, is they just want to remember the good old days and the yesteryears and, and, and where we were at one time. Well, I don't want to do that. I'll learn from it. I'll reminisce about it. But I'm ready for God to do something new in us and through us. Today's not that bad. The good old days were good, but today's not that bad. And tomorrow is even better. Amen. And I want to be in that. There, there's one more aspect I think that is so important to this story. And, and I don't want us to miss it today. So we're going to go back to verse 19. Uh, let's go to the second half of verse 19 here in 1 Kings 19 and 19. And, and, and listen to what the Bible says. This is so important. Don't miss this. It says, Elijah went over to him. And he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. 
Elisha left the oxen, oxen standing there and ran after Elijah is what it says. Do you hear this? Elijah went by him and he laid his cloak over him and walked off. Is that not the way that most men communicate? There's no communication here. He's, he's, not, he's not sticking around to explain to Elisha, here's what's about to happen with your life. I'm calling you to be my mentee. I, I want to mentor you. I want to I teach you how to be a prophet of God. And so I'm laying this cloak on you. He didn't tell him anything like that. He didn't interview him. He, he laid his cloak on him and he walked off. And he walked off so quickly that Elisha had to chase after him. I, I, I'm afraid that we don't understand that God is moving. God is, is ever moving. I, I, God sometimes, he calls me to do something and he doesn't even give me time to process it. Sometimes God calls you to do things and he doesn't give you time to process it because if you have to think it through, you're going to talk yourself out of it. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight when you have time to process the whole thing and think of every little scenario and every little thing that can happen along the way and every little mishap. And Elijah did not give Elisha that kind of time. He laid the cloak on him and said, this is your life. Boom, and he walks off and he has to chase after him. The kingdom of God, it is advancing. It is forever moving. It is nonstop. It, it, it is advancing forward and you just need to decide if you're going to go with it or not. Because there's some things back here that are so comfortable to us. There's land. There's oxen. It's a good life. It's a stable life. And we could get so comfortable right here that we fail to move when God moves. Church, I'm telling you, God's moving right now. I'm reluctant sometimes to say things. But when it comes to the vision and the destiny of this church, I'm afraid that there's some people that are going to get stuck over here in a, in a much more comfortable life. In 2006, when we planted this church, it was the scariest season of my life. Did I really just uproot my family from a really good job? I was on staff at University Church in Tampa. It was one of the most prestigious churches in our denomination. But in 2004, I found myself in a very comfortable place. I was the equivalent of Elisha, a young man, a good life, making good money in ministry, working for a pastor that loved me and I loved him, a church that loved me. It felt like everything I touched turned to gold. I just had success there. It, it, it was just great. 
It was a very prosperous season, but in 2004, I felt God moving. And I don't know exactly how it works, but I, I do know this. God is always moving. I may not be able to feel it or see it, but, but, but the Spirit of God is in constant movement. And my spirit was open to that, and there was a stirring. You ever felt that inside of you? There was a stirring. And in 2004, I sat down with my pastor, and I had the most uncomfortable conversation that I ever had with him. And I told him what was happening. I told him in 2004 that God was calling me to plant a church. And for two years, God began to prepare me. Revelation 21 and 5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I cannot get stuck here. Because my God is moving and he wants to make all things new. This is comfortable. This is good. But that's God. There's peace here. But there's passion there. Wait, wait, Elijah, Elijah, don't leave me here. Would you at least give me a chance to go say bye to my mom and dad? Yeah. But be careful. Because that's a really comfortable life. Don't forget what I just called you to do. And he walks back. The Bible doesn't even say that he said bye to his parents. I don't know. I hope he did. But he sets it all on fire. Destroys it all. Cooks the meat and gives it to the town. There's nothing left for him to go back to. And he moves forward. And as you're going to see, he fulfills his destiny and his life's calling. And the new thing that God wanted to do in his life. What does God want to do in your life? This is a message that is both personal and, and corporate for us, church. Corporately, God is about to do a new thing. You'll have to decide 
if you want to, it, it won't look, for those of you that have just started attending since we've opened the doors of this new facility, you're looking at me going, what, what are you talking about? There, there's a way that we've done things for years. And God's mercies are new every morning. Corporately, we can't stay here. I'm afraid I preached us into a promised land and we got comfortable quick. In the promised land, there were armies that had to be defeated. There were cities that had to be conquered. It was as much a battle and work inside the promised land as it was outside the promised land, if not more. And what God is calling us to do corporately as a church, we're going to have to run after it. Don't leave me behind, God. Don't leave me behind. You lay your mantle over me because I want to follow you, God. Wherever your spirit leads, lead me there, Lord. That's where I want to go. And for you personally, in your life, I'm telling you, don't get stuck there when God wants to do something new in your home, when God wants to do something new in your job, when God wants to do something new in your life and in your spirit and, and, and in your entire being. Don't get stuck being comfortable. Burn the past. Burn it. And watch God lead you into your destiny. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.